coming to you from the Nasser Alexander Kuchecki Studios, this is The Right Hash. The Right Hash is brought to you by Slim Sweets and by Speedy Custom Sneakers. Now, let's spark it up with your hosts, Luke Nadkarni and Alex Thompson. A very pleasant welcome into the Nasser Alexander Kuchecki Studios. And once again, we have for you an episode of The Right Hash. Here in the month of August, August is in full swing. We're after that five-day kind of, oh my gosh, it's the new month period. And we are into August. Preseason has started. College practices have started. Training camps are going on. And we're here in the Nasser Alexander Kuchecki Studios. I in Forsyth County. Alex in Harnett County. And we are here for the second episode of the second season of The Right Hash, bringing you four more football lists, two pro, two college. And it's here on a Saturday morning, and in exactly four weeks, we are going to be watching college game day, hearing Lee Corso's picks, seeing the headgear, and just getting ready for the extravagance. Or actually, really three weeks, because week I forgot about week zero. I'm just thinking of Labor Day. Yeah, and... Uh, I- I, I'm I'm excited because uh, I go to every I've been to like the last five or six Tennessee openers and when they land on a Saturday it's cool but it's like damn I just missed the whole first opening Saturday of football to go watch Tennessee play Bowling Green and you're like man I could have watched all day of football but Tennessee's played on Thursday last year and we do it this year so I get to do both I get to go to the opener and also go back home get back into my chair and veg out on college football all day. And like you said, that starts with college game day. Yeah, week, week zero coming up. Uh, that, that was uh, the last weekend in August. And then the real week one, you got all those kickoff games. You've got Oregon taking on Georgia at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Uh, that'll be we'll, we'll talk about in our fourth quarter. We're going to talk some Dan Lanning. We're going to talk about some other coaches uh, that, that we think are going to have great years uh, in college football. But that's going to be an awesome matchup right off the bat. Um, we're we're going to have all kinds of football picks, analysis, all kinds of stuff coming in on the right hash guests here in the next month. But for today, we're going to focus on our top NFL wide receivers and our top NFL defenses here in the first half. And then in the second half, we're going to switch to college and we're going to talk about what conferences we think are the best. We're going to rank the power fives one to five. And then we're going to talk about those head coaches in quarter number four. So we'll start quarter number one here with NFL wide receivers and we'll get this out of the way first. I, I, you probably could have figured I was going to have him at the top. I actually didn't think you would have him at the top. I figured you'd have him in there. But at number one, we both have St- Scary Terry, who was just rewarded with that nice fat deal from the Washington Commanders during the offseason and is poised for a fourth year where he, you know, where he, you know, is, is the leader of the team again. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't know. I knew you would have him in the top five, probably near the top. I didn't. Uh, obviously, I don't. I don't even think there's really bias involved there because I also have him ranked at one. But I, I know we'll both catch some some flack for having Terry McLaurin at one. Uh, he's not the most. I, I guess he's not the most popular receiver, mainly because he's not been on a he's not been on a good team. But that's why he's the best receiver in the NFL to me. He's got at least 900 yards in all three of his professional seasons, uh, including going over the thousand yard mark the last two seasons. Um, here's the most impressive part of his resume, those numbers, but here's the quarterbacks he's played with Luke. 
and so I, I don't mean to, this to be a PTSD moment for you. It's just to <laughs> it's just to to zoom in on how impressive I can, I can handle done. it. I can okay. handle it. Okay, just getting you prepared. <laughs> so who he's played with: Case Keenum, Dwayne Haskins, Colt McCoy, Alex Smith on that repaired like deer leg or what giraffe leg he had going on there. Kyle Allen, Taylor Heineke. Ryan Fitzpatrick for one game and Garrett Gilbert for one game. And he has 3,000 career yards, 222 career receptions, and 16 career touchdowns with those guys. That n- There is not a player on this list that has played with a worse quarterback than he has played with. I mean, yeah. Devontae uh, Adams, Just I'm not getting ahead of us. Devontae Adams has played with a Pro Bowl quarterback since college. Yeah, and, and it's not like Terry gets a superstar quarterback this year either. <laughs> he's, no, but he's, it's, <laughs> it's a massive upgrade. And it, it, we had this conversation when you guys traded for Carson Wentz, how much of a fan I am not of his. But I, I can even sit here and admit that he's a massive upgrade over what Terry has had to this point. Oh, absolutely. And Terry's just got like that, I don't give a fuck about anything except putting up numbers attitude. He doesn't chirp in the media. He doesn't like, he, he's not a really extravagant celebrator. He's not one of those guys that does a ton of stuff off the field for social media. If you look on, if you follow him on social media, most of his stuff is just him out fishing, which I think is yeah. really cool. I mean, it's, you know, it's a real cerebral guy lets his play do the talking. I know I've, I've said that to you probably a hundred times in our conversations about Terry McLaurin, but he's just that guy that as long as he's putting up numbers and getting the ball and getting targets, he's happy. It doesn't matter where he's playing. And for all of the, uh, you know, off the field crap that Washington is going through for to have Terry McLaurin just be like, yeah, I'm going to sign a long-term deal here and I'm going to be the face of this franchise for three more years. That is a massive, massive, massive win for that Washington front office. Yeah. Well, we, we talked about it this off season. I was concerned if he would go there because they haven't really given him uh, a massive quarterback, even counting Carson Wentz, they haven't really done a whole lot in the way of helping him out. And another thing that makes what he does so impressive is there is nobody on that offense that is worthy of taking focus away from him. He's going to get the the two best defenders on the opposing defense are dedicated to Terry almost every game. And he still does what he does with the likes of Garrett Gilbert tossing him the, the pigskin. And I just kind of worry that what if, you know, Carson Wentz has a Ryan Fitzpatrick type injury in the first game because – you know, Trayvon Walker could could get through and just just pound him or something like that. Yeah, um, gee, he played he played really well in that that preseason action on Thursday. Might be the he only one who did. Um, but uh, beside the point, uh, you know, then you're right back to Taylor Heineke. So you know, this is you know, this is probably I, I expect that Terry McLaurin is going to have his highest yardage output. I don't know about you know efficiency, uh, touchdowns, whatever. I think he'll get his highest yardage output in, in this year at least. I, I do too, and even if Carson Wentz gets hurt, um, I think the bigger addition for Terry was Jahan Dotson, a guy who can take the top off, take some safety help away, and just just give him a little bit of breathing room. You know what I'm talking about? So yeah. I, I've I've heard Jahan Dotson is getting rave reviews early in practice. Um, sounds like he's going to fit right into the game plan immediately, and we, we, we know what he does. He runs straight down the field and takes safety help. Uh, he's going to evolve into a better receiver, but right out of the gate, that's what he's going to do, and that's going to help Terry a lot. Yeah, and if Curtis Samuel can ever get healthy, he's already had some, some issues 
uh, here in practice. He's been on 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 in Ashburn. They have the side field. It's just if you're if you're on quote unquote the side field, that means you're hurt. You're not practicing, and that's like the euphemism that Washington reporters use for somebody who's who's hurt. So Curtis Samuel spent a lot of time on the side field uh, already this August. Uh, my number two is a guy we talked a lot about last show, uh, Stefan Diggs up in Buffalo, um, and I have him so high mainly uh, kind of tied to the reason, uh, the, the opposite of the reason that we had Terry McLaurin up there, but he's got one of the best quarterbacks in the league throwing him the ball in Josh Allen, and that's why he's my number two, among all the other reasons why these guys are on our list. Yeah, and um, probably the best pure route runner in the NFL. Uh, I, I say probably because Cooper Cup made that a really, really difficult thing to say with the season he just had. Um, but still, I think for my money and just I've seen it over his entire career, not just a, a year or two like Cooper Cup, but uh, best pure route runner. He can make all kinds of catches, run all kinds of routes, slants, curls, deep outs, uh, just straight bombs. Uh, you can get him involved in the backfield somewhat, too. Uh, he's a very multiple guy for an outside receiver. So um, I, I, I've got him at three. I won't even mention him when we come up because – We've already talked about him, but yeah, yeah, four four straight thousand yard receiving, thousand yard receiving seasons. So uh, I expect that to continue this year. Stay, stays healthy, good guy in the community. I saw a video of him talking to a a kid that came to training camp who had just lost his dad as well, and it, everyone kind of we talked touch on it last week. But the reason Stevon Diggs wears fourteen is because that's the age that his dad passed away. Um, so it's. It, it, it's it's good to see what these guys do for for the kids in the community, and th- there's no better time to really see it displayed than in these training camps when you can afford to bring your kids to watch their their idols. Yeah, he's a, he's a guy from the D.C. area, played at Good Council, mm-hmm. um, and you know, stayed close to home to play in college too. Uh, even though he had some offers from some some really top schools, so yeah, it speaks volumes about the kind of character Stephon Diggs is off the field. Um, at two, I have Devonte Adams, but I think you know. Honestly, these top, I think we have the same top four. Uh, you can just kind of put them whatever order you prefer. Uh, I've got Devontae at two. Uh, not much needs to be said. Uh, he's playing with his college quarterback. He played with Derek Carr at Fresno State. So um, there likely won't be any drop off from his production in Green Bay. Maybe, honestly, a little bit more, nothing against Aaron Rodgers. But um, I, I think Derek Carr is going to rely on uh, Devontae. And Devontae's got. Darren Waller to take some of that mid-range linebacker uh, uh, coverage off of him whenever he's running uh, some of his his short routes. So uh, I think he's going to outproduce Terry, but it's because he's never played with a bad quarterback in the last decade or so. Um, that, and he's a freak athlete, super clean route running, magnets for hands. Next. Yeah, I've, I've got him at three. I just got him in digs flipped uh, the way you yeah. have him. Uh, but also, uh, Hunter Renfro is also a threat in that receiving mm-hmm. core. Um, and you just adding Diggs, you know how much how reliable Renfro was last year. Adding, uh, sorry, not Diggs, Devontae Adams. You know he's it, it, it's they're going to work in concert with each other. And, and like you mentioned, having maybe maybe the best tight end in the NFL uh, when he's mm-hmm. healthy, Darren Waller. Um, it's going to make the Raiders' aerial attack under Josh McDaniels formidable this this uh, coming season. Yeah, so um, I've got I've got Diggs at three. You had Adams, so I'm going to skip on down to four. Um, and I I've only got this guy below Stephon Diggs because I, I give a little bit of a nod to someone who's a pure wide receiver on our wide receivers list. But at number four, I've got Debo Samuel. 
Um, he was the most electric player in the NFL last year. Uh, he has a running back clause in his new contract that will pay him more should he see X amount of carries, among other incentives. So they're acknowledging it legally that he's playing running back as well. Uh, but whatever, he's a receiver at the end of the day. And right now, when he's healthy, the most game-breaking one in the NFL. You can throw him a screen pass, he's taking it 75. You can throw him a slant, he's taking it 75. You can throw him a bomb, he's taking it 75. You can give him a handoff, he's taking it 75. He can do everything on the football field. Yeah, I mean, restaurants are open. Uh, nobody's really wearing masks anymore. I mean, you can go to the grocery store without worrying about getting sick. But the NFL is still going to test positive for Debo 19 for 17 <laughs> weeks. Yes, uh, it is. So, so yeah, I, mean, I can't really say much more than, than you did. I have Debo right where you do at four. For a lot of the same reasons, I didn't want to put, you know, a hybrid up at the one or two. Um, but uh, now that he's got that contract, I remember last show we talked, we were talking, and I think maybe six hours after we got done recording, <laughs> they they signed him to that that deal, which is similar to the Terry McLaurin deal, I think, three, three years for some some ungodly amount of money. 71. Uh, yeah. 71 yeah. Or so. I think 50, 50 something guaranteed. Yeah. Um, good, but good yeah, Debo at good four. For Debo. Um, Cash? I, I'm interested to see how much of a running workload he actually gets this year because that was a big stipulation in, you know, in his contract that. Um, yeah, he wants to be more of a pass catcher, uh, yeah, pre- presumably to make sure his career is as long as he wants it to be. It, exactly. That That's the main thing. It's not because he doesn't want to be a running back. It's just, he, you, you know, the longevity of guys who run between the tackles for a living. And he, he is definitely not built like Derrick Henry. Uh, and even Derrick Henry got hurt last year. So, uh, I, I don't blame him. However, this is still the NFL, and you he knows you have to put the ball in his hands, and I know he's willing to do it, so he's going to get paid more if they do hand him the ball more, which is good for him. Yeah, and I also wonder how much uh, having a going from Jimmy Garoppolo, a more of a pure pocket passer, to Trey Lance, who can move the pocket and do damage with his legs, is going to benefit not only Debo Samuel, but just the 49ers offense as a whole. Yeah, it, it, should, it should be really interesting. Uh... I, I kind of wish I would get to see uh, Mike McDaniels run this offense. Uh, you know, he's in Miami now, but he, he he's the one who him and Arthur Smith on the opposite coast kind of created this, this Swiss army knife of a position out of their receivers uh, this year and ha- having a mobile quarterback, but both of those teams are moving to mobile quarterbacks this year with uh, Marcus Mariota slash Des Ritter in Atlanta, Trey Lance in San Francisco. Uh, really interested to see how they use Debo um, obviously running backs in like Baltimore aren't typically the most productive because they have the best runner on the team at quarterback, but they still get, they still get work. I'm really interested to see how it goes as well. Yeah. Down to number five. I think we deviate here. Uh, I have a guy who, uh, may, who he was criticized a lot last year at the beginning. Uh, he, he was uh, joked about because he couldn't see the football, uh, but he ended up becoming uh, one of the top threats through the air in the NFL under, under uh, being having Joe Burrow throw him the ball. I got Jamar Chase here. Mm. And I don't know if drops are an official stat, uh, but he dropped nine passes last year, according to NBCSports.com. Uh, so he's going to have to cut down on that. But him plus T. Higgins, uh, that that's like a, as, I think, dynamic of a duo as you can have in the AFC, maybe in the whole NFL. And... Yeah, I know we didn't have the Bengals in our top five last uh, last week, but I still think Jamar Chase is going to have, be one of the top five receivers in the NFL this season. I absolutely agree. I don't have him at five, but 
you know, when, when you're around this area, I think I even told you there's like probably 10 guys you could have put in this list and been completely fine. I, it wouldn't have been off the wall. And Jamar Chase is definitely one of those. The only reason he's not here for me is because I just need to see it more than once. But I mean, we saw it at LSU. We saw it here. He's got the same guy. Um, it, st- it stands to reason he's going to only improve upon what he's done. Now he's going to get a little bit more attention, maybe uh, a little bit more respect, maybe that he's done what he's done already. But outside of that, I mean, not like they weren't trying to stop him last year, right? <laughs> right. Offensive rookie of the year, second team, all pro. He was selected to the pro bowl. I mean, he got all kinds of honors, earned five honors uh, in, in his, uh, his NFL rookie season. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. I mean, he's going to draw the top assignment for every, you know, every, uh, <clears throat> every opponent, you know, when he plays Pittsburgh, you know, he's going to get the top of top attention when he plays, you know, Baltimore, Marcus Peters is probably going to be on him. Uh, but I'd still that it's still hard to stop him. You know, yeah. <laughs> so these guys he, are all, all five guys we have on our lists are, you can put the best corner on them, but they're still going to get theirs. And, uh, I sent you my list of five and I told you something might change and I, I, I slept on it. I'm changing it. Um, I had Tyreek Hill here at five and there's nothing to do with Tyreek, but I, I felt disgusting not having Cooper cup on this list after what he did last year. Um, j- j- just to give you the breakdown, it, his regular season, he won the receiving triple crown. First time since that's happened since 2005. 145 receptions, number one in the NFL, 1,947 yards, number one in the NFL, and 16 touchdowns, number one in the NFL. Uh, In the regular season, you can expand that to the playoffs, 170 receptions, 2,333 yards, and 20 touchdowns in his 20 games that he played last year. Um, I, I, I looked at that, and I'm like, I cannot keep that off of a top five wide receivers list. That guy was the best receiver last year. Um, he was a really good receiver the year before uh, in Jared Goff's last year. But last year with Matthew Stafford, he just took it to a completely different level, a level that the NFL has really never seen. Um, He's the first receiver to ever reach 2,000 yards in a season. I know it took the the playoffs, but he's still the first to ever do it. Um, Just an absolutely insane year, and it stands to reason that he'll build upon it. I don't know if he's going to have as good of a year as he did this year, um, this past year. Just it's so hard to replicate what he did last year. Um, he's perfectly capable of it. He's young and hasn't been injured, and he has the same quarterback and roughly the same offense. Roughly is back. Um, so I, I'm putting I'm putting Cooper Cup here over Tyreek Hill. No offense to Tyreek Hill, still the fastest guy in the game, but Cooper Cup was the Los Angeles Rams offense last year. Tyreek Hill more athletic, more dynamic, uh, but. Cooper Cup, I think, will have the better season uh, when all yeah. is said and done. So yeah, yeah, I, was, I, I, mean, had a, I had a feeling you might. I had a feeling you might because we were talking about that off air. I was like, didn't he set some sort of record? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he yeah. set he set records. Um, just, I just, uh, you know, I, I was talking about how impressive it was that Terry McLaurin had 16 career touchdowns, and then I looked down and I'm like, Cooper Cup had that last year. Yeah. How do I not have him on this list? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and since I mean, me too. I, I didn't have him on there, but I mean, like, you know, if this were a top ten, certainly be on there. But to, to, to me, he kind of he kind of has the same downside as you do with the Jamar Chase, in that you've only seen the spectacular numbers for one year. Um, 
But with Cooper Cup, we we have seen him elevate, and he he's been decent his whole career. And last year, man, I, I don't know what they put in the water out there in LA, but uh, they need to put all that Michael Secret stuff in all their players' uh, water because, good lord, he was just wow. dominant. I mean, I know what they got in the air out there. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I don't know if they've figured out how to put it in the water yet, but <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know if what they have in the air helps you like this. <laughs> know how to put it in baked goods too, and, and gummies and shit too. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the right stuff. Yeah, the right stuff on the right hash. Uh, as uh, the horn sounds on quarter number one, talking about top NFL receivers, top five NFL receivers. Now we'll go on to. Uh, we'll go from individual players to collectives, the defense, top defenses. We haven't really talked to any defense in the NFL uh, on our first two shows. That's about to change, however, as quarter number two begins. And we have our top five defenses uh, on the list. I actually need to pull mine up uh, because my short-term memory is beat to shit and I need to actually look at it. Uh, but I, uh, I can I can start because we had the yeah. same number one, I believe. Yeah. Um, at number one, we have I have Buffalo. Um, had arguably the best defense in the NFL last year. Um, don't tell that to the second half, Patrick Mahomes. But um, then they added Von Miller in the offseason for six more years. Uh, they'll get Tredavious White back in the first half of the season. Um, I'm very, very confident in this ranking, factoring that in. And uh, that's about all I had to say about Buffalo. They just they, they stayed the course, got, got better in the trenches, and, uh, you know, they were already good. <laughs> I went back and forth on this. I have. I'm just going to call it one A and one B. I've got Buffalo and the Rams, um, just because the Rams are the defending champions and they have Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald did not retire. He is back. Um, so not close to retiring either. Yeah. Just like really. <laughs> and, and now, now I do doubt that Von Miller will be in Buffalo for six years. I doubt he's going to play for six more years. But that, that doesn't matter because we're just talking about this year. Um, Buffalo's secondary is really good too. You know who I like a lot is Jordan Poyer. Oh, yeah. I, I like him a lot. I, he's he's quietly been one of the top defensive backs in the AFC for you know, three or four years running now. Yeah, uh, where was what? Where has he been so far? I, Jordan Poyer. I'm trying to remember. Uh, I, I know the name. I'm just trying to picture the jersey on him. So he was with Philadelphia in 2013. That's who drafted him. Uh, he was a seventh round pick, and then he played for the Browns for three years, and he's been in Browns. Buffalo since 2017. Browns Browns was in my mind. I didn't know why. I don't know why I recall that, but the Browns are where I recognize him. From. Yeah, I mean, 42 career pass deflections, 20 career interceptions, seven career forced fumbles, and 11 sacks in a career uh, that for for you know it started less than 10 years ago. So I mean, I you know, underrated player that I don't think gets talked about enough on one of the top defenses. Oregon State guy. Yep, the nice. Oregon State University. The Oregon State. <laughs> um, but yeah, I. One B, one A, Rams. I, I, I agree. If you play, if you play Madden Ultimate Team, you know who Jordan Poyer is. He's always got a really good Madden Ultimate Team card. Um, but yeah, I've got, I've got the Rams at two. But like you said, it's you know my AFC number one and my NFC number one. I'll put it that way. Um, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, adding Bobby Swagner. Uh, <laughs> it's about all. It's about all you need. They have still have a superstar at each level. Um, some of the best depth in the entire NFL. Uh, as well as development on the on the defensive side, I think people forget about development at the professional level. But the Rams just always seem to have a good defense, no matter what's going on in offense. They, they've always got a, a strong defense, and um, 
when they're not developing them, they're acquiring them uh, by spending, you know, 2032's first round draft pick to go get a guy out there uh, because fuck them picks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Chris Long was a guy who got his start with the Rams yep. uh, and had a, had a long career, no pun intended, uh, where he won, won two Super Bowls, one with the Patriots and one with the Rams, but or excuse me, one with the Eagles. Uh, but uh, it's yeah, it seems like seems like the Rams have kind of have a penchant for homegrown players. Mm-hmm. Exhibit A being the obvious Aaron Donald, um, yeah. Co- Cooper Cup being another one on the on the offensive side of the ball. I remember his rookie year, and he he still you know he was one of the people we're talking about. Like you know, this is a guy you're going to be hearing about for years to come. And there he is, White Lightning. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, I, number three. Can, go ahead. I'll I'll do mine after yours. So my my number three is the Green Bay Packers. Um, I, I'm, I was, I'm really high on, high on, high on the green Bay defense. Um, I, I like, uh, I really like Preston Smith. I know they lost Zadarius Smith, uh, but I think Preston Smith is going to kind of come up and, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Make up, you know, kind of take, take up, make up that, that production. Uh, mentioned Jair Alexander last show. Packers have one of the best secondaries in the league. Maybe maybe the best. I don't know. Darnell Savage actually got hurt in practice last night. Not sure how that's going to affect him uh, for this season. But he has turned into one of the best safeties. Um, and for all the talk about Aaron Rodgers, it, it really was the Packers defense that won a lot of their games last year. I mean, it's, it, it's as solid of a defensive backfield as you're going to find with uh, Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage, uh, Razul Douglas. I just love that name. But they, they add a guy like Quay Walker. They add a guy like Devontae Wyatt. Uh, they add a linebacker like KK and Igbari. I, I really, really like what they did in the draft. Now, a lot of people weren't thrilled with it because it wasn't catering to Aaron Rodgers on the offensive side of the ball. That being said, this is a stout defense. Eric Stokes at corner, Rashawn Gary, Devontae Campbell at linebacker. Uh, this is a stout defense that is a great mix of veterans plus high, high ceiling rookies. And I think Devontae Wyatt, I think I mentioned this last episode, Devontae Wyatt and Quay Walker are two rookies that I look to get involved very early. And if if not starting right out of the gate, they'll be the starters by the end of the season. Yeah, and another guy is uh, Kenny Clark on the defensive line, a space, a space eater, uh, 64 pressures, actually more than Preston Smith uh, last year. So just the, the names just keep coming and they, you know, they, they're going to be, I think a losing, a losing Devonte Adams. I think the Packers are going to be more of one of those ground and pound ball control, you know, keep the offense, the opposing offense off the field teams. And, you know, their running game is going to have to play a part in that with AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones, but the, the defense is going to probably be the primary uh, you know, reason that they keep opposing offenses off the field. Defenses win championships, right? I think I think so. I think it's I think it's what the what the saying is. Yeah, certainly, I mean, certainly helped the Rams last year. Helped help the Bills last year too, except for that fourth quarter blowout that that it, <laughs> it evolved into that game. Yeah. Um, at three, I've got a I've got a similar t- defense. I would say um, here, and I've got the Saints, uh, and I say they're similar because they, t- to me, also arguably have the best set of defensive backs in the NFL. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore, Bradley Roby, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, P.J. Williams, Honey Badger, Marcus May, Daniel Sorensen, on top of Pete Werner, Demario Davis at linebacker, Cam Jordan, Marcus Davenport on the defensive line. They got a guy named Taco Charlton, which you always need a taco on a 
legendary defense. Um, but I'm, a, I'm just a big fan of the defense they've put here. Uh, they've got elite depth across the defensive backfield. Uh, they've done a good job bringing in uh, impact rookies, drafting Elante Taylor uh, in the second round, who's looked really good in camp. Uh, I like Jordan Jackson. They're they're going to have an they're going to have an amazing defense this year, and it's going to look even better because they get to play four games against the Falcons and the Panthers. <laughs> and Marshawn Lattimore did a great job on Terry McLaurin last year in that game at FedEx Field. Yeah. Uh, really, just just took Terry out of that ball game. Uh, I don't have the Saints on my list, but they're a team that you know I was that I considered. Uh, yeah, they're very similar to the Packers. The Saints, the, the mm-hmm. defense is going to be the identity this year. Um, you know, Jameis Winston turns the ball over a lot. The defense is going to be called on to, you know, get the Saints out of predicaments like short fields and, you know, having to go right back on the field after just giving up a touchdown because Jameis threw a pick on the first play of the next series. That, you know, that stuff's just going to happen in New Orleans. Jameis is who he is. He is who we yep. thought he was. Uh, and <laughs> luckily, the Saints under Dennis Allen in his first year as head coach in New Orleans are going to have a defense that is going to give them a shot every single game. Absolutely. It's, it, it should be a lot of fun to watch. Um, yeah, I don't know a lot of folks out there like watching defense, but especially this day and age, but I, for one, really love watching a good defense. I also do. I, 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 I could take a 10 to seven ball game. Most, yeah. most days, 20 to yeah. 17 is like my favorite football score. Cause it, you know, there were touchdowns, but there was, you know, there was also good defense in a 20 to 17 game too. Absolutely. My number four is the Baltimore Ravens. I really, really, really love, 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 love the Kyle Hamilton pick. I think he's going to have an instant impact. You got all pro Marlon Humphrey coming back, Marcus Peters in the secondary, and they added Marcus Williams from the aforementioned Saints. So this is a really, really good defensive backfield. And they're in a league, or excuse me, in a a division against Joe Burrow, where who they're going to have to face twice. And then they're going to have some quarterback uncertainty again in their four games against Pittsburgh. You don't know who their starter is going to be yet. Probably going to be Trubisky, but we don't know yet. And then Cleveland, and we all know what's going on with that quarterback situation. Uh, so I, I really think that Baltimore is going to get back to that kind of mid-2000s, real nasty. You picture Ray Lewis walking onto the field doing that dance and – the, the Baltimore defense is going to go back to what we, you know, the Baltimore defense was when we were like in middle and high school. Yeah. This, this looking at this defensive lineup hurts me because they have the mayor of Saxonville and Calais Campbell at defensive end now, which I mean, that, that guy is just one of the most consistently amazing pass rushers in the entire NFL. And no one's talked about him the last three or four years because he's been in freaking Jacksonville. Um, but he, he is going to come back out onto the scene in Baltimore. He's going to look great in that Baltimore purple. Um, the the big addition for me, I know they have Marcus Williams at free safety, but uh, where they stole Kyle Hamilton, that's, that's a massive addition for them. Gives them some immediate young quality depth uh, to this defensive backfield that, you know, ha- has had problems staying healthy uh, in the past. They haven't had a problem of being good. They just had a problem of being healthy. And I also really love Patrick Queen uh, there in the middle of the field, weak side linebacker for them. Um, that Yeah, great, great pick here. 
I don't have him in my top five, but great pick. I'm looking at Calais Campbell's stats, and the stat that always jumps out at me for people in positions like this is how often do they play 16 or now 17 games? Mm -hmm. Calais Campbell has played all 16 games, going back to 2008, in nine of his 14 seasons. That's pretty remarkable for a guy at defensive tackle. Yeah, and I mean he 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 plays defensive end. Uh, he's big on the defensive line. Yeah. He is definitely big enough to clog up the middle, but uh, his arms give him such an advantage pass rushing. And he he was probably the lone consistent bright spot for the last five years in Jacksonville, four or five years in Jacksonville. Uh, loved having him. We like we said we called him the mayor of Saxonville. He was the probably the biggest cornerstone in our community um through the last three head coaches and uh just suck to see him go i understand that the money wasn't there for us and it wasn't wasn't something we could afford to pay him because we had way bigger issues but it's gonna it's gonna hurt to see him in a different jersey this year um, yeah and uh, when you said mayor of saxonville i almost thought yannick Ngakwe uh, because i think he played for baltimore too Yes, uh, but currently with the Raiders. Different, yeah, different guy. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Jan was good too. Jan just had uh, Jan had some some problems, uh, <laughs> like like many others seem to have with the Jackson Jacksonville Jaguars. So I, I don't want to single him out. He's just he was the last remnant of of that Tom Coughlin era. Um, go, going to my number four, I've got the 49ers. Uh, didn't change a whole lot from last year. Uh, I really like their front seven, um, comprised of Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, Javon Kinlaw uh, on the defensive line, uh, Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw at linebacker, Emmanuel Mosley, Jimmy Ward, Charvarius Ward, Darquez Denard at defensive back. I think they have a very solid first string defense. The only issue you run into with San Francisco is if they do get hit with the injury bug across the defensive line again. That happened two years ago, completely tanked their season. Uh, they don't have great depth there still. They drafted Drake Jackson in the second round, who I, I do like. Um, I'm just not sure he's going to replace what an Eric Armstead or a Nick Bosa gives you. Uh, definitely not what Nick Bosa gives you. But other than that, I love their I love their first string defense. The way people talk about San Francisco, you'd think they won the Super Bowl last year. Just they've got so much coming back, and you know, the prospects for this year are so good. But then you look at who they had at quarterback, and that's what yeah. was holding them back. And now you you know you exit Jimmy Garoppolo, enter Trey Lance, and, and the optimism you know the, the optimism is just kind of flowing out of the Bay Area right now. Um, and yeah, I, I think San Francisco's got got a solid defense. They might be six or seven uh, on on my list, but I, yeah, Nick Bosa. Uh, the leading that front seven when you have one of the top pass rushers in the game then you have every play has game breaking ability i think of ryan kerrigan when he used to tap the passes in the air and catch them and run them back for touchdowns he did that several times in washington those are the kinds of things other than sacks that guys like nick bosa can provide for your team or even just getting in and disrupting the rhythm stuff like that adds up as the game goes along so I think outside of like a home run hitting wide receiver and a quarterback like Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, having a pass rusher like that is probably the top weapon you can have in the NFL. I agree because it makes the rest of your defense good. Um, e even if they're not good, it will make them good. Uh, just the, the pressure it puts on a, on an offense to 
do things outside of their comfort zone or try to adjust to you. That's what a defense does. A defense makes a good defense makes the opposing offense bend to their will and do what they want them to do. And it's so hard to win games when you have to do what the defense wants you to do because they're taking away everything else. And that that's what can happen here in, in San Francisco. Stay healthy. They're a top five defense. Definitely agreed. Uh, my number five is a team out of the NFC East. No, it's not the Washington Commanders. It's actually up to I-95 two hours. It's Philadelphia Eagles who drafted really well and they made mm. two home run signings in the offseason. First is James Bradbury coming down from the Giants. Uh, it's about a 90-minute ride or a four-hour ride on the New Jersey Turnpike, depending on traffic. Um, but Bradbury never really fit in in New York, I think, and a lot of that has to do with how dysfunctional that organization is. But now you get to put him next to Darius Slay, slide Avante Maddox back into the slot, and you've got a really, really formidable secondary in Philadelphia. They also signed Hassan Reddick, who spent one year in Carolina, and I was really wanting Washington to make a run at him. Money didn't work out, so he ends up with a division rival. Uh, I think he had a, a one of the best uh, pass pressure rates, uh, win rates, uh, eighth in pass rush win rate, 23% in 2021. That's what it is. Um, but they also got a guy I absolutely love in the draft in N'Kobe Dean. And to boot, on top of that, Jordan Davis, another guy from that Georgia defense. Eagles just knocked it out of the park this offseason on that side of the ball. Yeah, they, they were definitely in the running to be in my top five. They just missed a cut. But uh, the two of the primary reasons are what you just mentioned. Drafting Jordan Davis, drafting Nicobe Dean. Um, and the value they got on Nicobe Dean, I think, is m what me and you talked about. Maybe the most through the draft is like, why is this guy still here? Why is this guy still here? And they, they pulled the trigger, got, for my money, the two most pivotal players on that Georgia defense last year. I know Trayvon Walker went one and Quay Walker went went higher as well. But for, for my money, those are the two most important guys on that Georgia defense. They bring them both in. Uh, Jordan Davis, the easy heir apparent to Fletcher Cox. What an amazing job uh, ha having that kind of transition happen here. Uh, the, also have Josh Sweat. They re-signed Derek Barnett controversially for some people. Um, I, I love your pick. Darius Slay, great pick. Hassan Reddick, if you're familiar with, uh, he, he was on the Lions for most of his career, correct? Amazing. Uh, I know he was on the Cardinals before he was on Carolina. I'd, have to, go, I'd, have, to, I'd have to go back and uh, look. Hassan Reddick was drafted in 2017. Else. Yeah, he, he was drafted by Arizona in 2017. Oh. He, is, okay. he is a native of Camden, New Jersey, which is right across the river from Philadelphia. So he's, he's back home. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but played at Temple as well. The Eagles have one of my favorite names in the NFL, Jaquiski Tart. Uh, <laughs> so uh, great, great pick here. At, I think out of all five, no, nothing against your other picks. This is your best pick on the on the on the list. Um, I I, sh I should have put them in here. I, I feel yeah. Bad I hate to talk out. good about Philadelphia. My my uncle Uncle Vini and my cousins Lauren, Lindsay, Andrew. If y'all are listening to this. There you go. I, I said something nice about the Eagles, Uncle Dave. <laughs> you guys, you got I got a lot of Philly in my family tree, so I, I gotta 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 pay the toll once in a while. Well, the uh, the the home of the Fighting Gardner Minshews are really gonna appreciate your words. Um, at, at five, maybe a bit of a cop out, just because they're they're an easy human to put here. But I got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers um, at five. They they haven't changed much. Uh, uh, you're going to notice the departure of Indama Kung Su. 
which is going to lead uh, for a little bit more Vita Vea. They brought in Akeem Hicks um, from Chicago. But, you know, it, it's about the same thing. My opinion, the best linebacking core in the NFL, Devin White, Levante David, Shaq Barrett. I don't think there's a linebacking core that's close to that. Um, a solid defensive backfield. Uh, Winfield Jr.'s been coming on. Jamel Dean is solid. Sean Murphy Bunting is solid. Ross Cockrell, solid. Logan Ryan, solid. Keanu Neal leaves some to be desired, but still very uh, extremely solid player. I, I like what they've done here. Um, I don't have too much to say because it's the same defense that we've seen for the last three years, by and large. I actually They're missed really sorry, good. Sorry to interrupt. I actually missed Keanu Neal moving over to the Bucks. I did not yeah. catch that this offseason. That's a big addition. Yeah, it it is. He he's really good. Um, but like I said, sometimes he does leave a little bit to be desired. But some of that could also be his his hay has been made in Atlanta, which has not been a successful defense for the better part of since Matt Ryan's been there. Yeah. Really. I mean, this, this defensive line, they just, they play outside, inside, out, mm-hmm. live in La Vida Vea. I mean, La Vida Vea. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't have much to add other than that. I mean, the Bucks are, you know, they're another team that was in the conversation for me, but I, I ace in the hole was my, was the Eagles. So I, I got some praise for that. So I'm going to, I'm just going to, going to leave it at that. Bucks, maybe six or seven. Um, but I talked a lot about the Bucks last show when I talked about Tom Brady. So, um, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the thing is that, like with our top five receivers, there's about ten defenses you could have put here. I would have been fine if you put the Titans or the Colts here as well, most likely. Uh, maybe even the Cleveland Browns. Um, there's some good defenses in the NFL this year, uh, and I'm excited to see where everything lands at the end of the year. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, they're not on anyone's list, but I, I'm excited to watch Washington's defense this year. I think that's going to be their strength of the team again. Um, I think that the front seven is going to play a lot better than it did last year. Uh, so I just I'll throw that out there. When Chase Young gets healthy, watch out because that's as good of a defensive line as any any in the NFL. I I want to see Fedarian Mathis come on just because I want to be saying Fedarian more often. Oh, what a tra- I know I, when we drafted him, I was like, I don't know him as much, well as a player, but anyone with that name, I will take him on my team. Yeah, you you cannot be mad at the name draft at the very least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jahan Dotson, that's a pretty great name too. You guys have Corn Elder. <laughs> One of the many former Panthers under Ron Rivera, as the horn sounds on quarter number two, and we hit halftime. Here on the right hash, great NFL discussion. That was man, that made me made me wish it was a Sunday. It made me wish it was September 11th. That sounds weird to say, but uh, but that's the day that the NFL will be kicking off for most teams. Three days earlier is that Rams Bills game in Los Angeles on the Thursday night kickoff. Uh, so we're about a month away from that. We're less than a month away from college football. Uh, we're gonna get into our college segments next, but real quick uh, before we get to our college lists, uh, there's been some movement. In, uh, in realignment, once again, conference realignment, some of it big, some of it small, some of it hits close to home here on the right hash, some of it's across the country. But I mean, before we get to the, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, we got to mention the Campbell Camels making a move to the Colonial Athletic Association. Big, big jump for Campbell's athletic department that has been you know really just making strides the last decade or so. Yeah, and it, it's going to be nice to have a... a- more of a local rivalry develop with Elon, the the other Southern Baptist college located here in North Carolina, probably about an hour and a half, two hours away from here. Uh, they are also in the Colonial, so a, a nice natural fit there to have a little bit more of a, a, a local rival 
Um, but yeah, m- move, moving on up, they're getting more serious about football. Obviously, we know what they've done with baseball um, from from last year. But I mean, they're moving into a conference with Villanova, uh, the Richmond Spiders. I mean, that may, maybe not the biggest name. Stony Brook's in here. I can't wait to catch a couple games against Stony Brook, uh, William and Mary. So I, I would say that these are better schools than what Campbell has been playing with. And uh, l- largely the Big South is going to dissolve over the next five or so years as those teams fill the holes as this conference realignment stuff uh, continues to to stack on top of each other in the Power Five. They need to replace those teams into the other conferences. Uh, so this is, this is just another step for the Camels. was great to wake up to that news and see – um, that the Campbells are moving on up out of the Big South. Yeah, I used to love the old Colonial back when it was mostly Virginia schools, and that turn of that basketball tournament at the Richmond Coliseum was appointment viewing. Uh, if you grew up in the state of Virginia, because so many and so many people had had family members or teachers or cousins or whatever that went to one of those public schools in Virginia that are not Virginia or Virginia Tech. Uh, but the conference a little more spread out now. Uh, it's it's a good basketball conference, definite. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't know yeah. how good the Big South is versus the CAA in football, but in basketball, that is definitely a step up uh, for Campbell. Um, and unfortunately, Chris Clemens is not walking through the door. But no, it'd, it'd be nice to have him back. Um, but I mean, outside outside of Winthrop and Radford, there wasn't a lot of uh, consistent basketball competition there. I mean, not not even out of Campbell. They had the Chris Clemens years, Chris Clemens years, but other than that, they're not a very a very good basketball team at the end of the day. No. Um, but that, no. that, this helps as, as Campbell just introduced in the last four or five years, athletic scholarships. Uh, they've, they've become a little bit hotter on the recruiting trail, uh, especially in football and uh, sky's, the, sky's the limit for a school with uh, private finance money, which is what Campbell is. And they will be playing NC state in basketball this year uh, as part of the non-conference. So roll home um, chance, yeah, chance to make a statement. Help us get Kevin Keats out of there. <laughs> yeah, I think all state fans would like that. Uh, so, uh, real quick before we go to quarter three, USC and UCLA moving to the Big Ten. That's kind of old news, but we haven't really talked about it on the right hash. Um, really, money drive—you know, obviously, money driving the uh, driving the bus here. Uh, but I, I, I really am interested in the curiosity factor of you know, say USC at Wisconsin in a driving snowstorm in late November. Like that—that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, uh, I mean, the, the one redeeming factor about the move is I can see that they're not shying away from competition. They are going to a harder conference. So while they're going to get paid more, they are gonna they're going to encounter more losses in that conference than they would in the Pac-12. So oh, no question know, about it. You know, I, I just want to I want to put that out there. No one should see this as like a scared move. They are running towards competition. That don't worry. There's money behind the competition, but they're running towards competition. They want the reward. They want the risk. Yeah, and another other moves that were announced uh, back in the spring or even earlier than that, while we were in our first season on the right hash, Oklahoma and Texas coming over to the SEC. That's going to take effect 2024, 2025 academic year. Um, I mean, shoot, the SEC and Big Ten are the two superpowers. It's kind of like USA and China right now. <laughs> if, if you're equate it to global politics, but uh, yeah, these are this is the example that that is going to be set, and the other conferences are going to kind of need to catch up. Yeah, if, um, if, they, if they even can. Yeah, I'm I'm really I'm nervous to see what happens in college football because 
it just feels like it's teetering right on the edge of about to just not self-destruct, but blow everything up and put in some new radical system. Uh, it just feels like we're so, so, so close to that right now. Um, the the good thing is we, we do have group of five teams that are actually capable replacements for some of these schools. And the Big 12 is a good example. You lose Oklahoma and Texas. Don't get me wrong. Two of the top 10 biggest brands in the entire sport. That's massive. Okay. But they're adding Central Florida, Cincinnati, and Houston. And those are three of the most recent big brands out of the group of five. And three three teams that are located in hotbed recruiting states that once they move into a big conference are going to have bigger money to go recruit. They've already got good coaching. They've got good development. They have good tradition. And so I'm excited to see what realignment does for schools like this to bring them out of that, you know, slightly underneath the radar, but not all the way gone type of stature up into, okay, now we're a power five school. We have the resources. Let's see what we can do with this. So there's some good and bad to realignment. This part is the good. Yeah. And BYU as well, coming to the big 12, that's a a name brand. I mean, they're, you know, they're not as prestigious as Notre Dame, but a religious school that's independent has its own TV contract with national appeal. That's that also uh, cannot be discounted for the big 12 Um, as we begin quarter number three here on the right hash, and it's a segue because we are going to rank the power conferences uh, coming into this 2022 college football season. And, I mean, we, I alluded to it at halftime as SEC is far and away number one. You've got the two participants from the national championship game last year in Georgia and Alabama reloaded. I mean, I'm not going to make any predictions right now, but, like, if we are get to the first Monday or second Monday in January and these two teams are – again, playing for the national championship. Is anyone really going to be surprised? No. Um, I didn't even write notes down with the SEC because I don't even <laughs> think it, I don't even think it needs to be discussed. It's, right. I mean, it's just is. It, that, that's just an industry-wide accepted fact. The SEC is the best conference in, in America. For Pick a stat. They're the best. Um, so it, if it's okay with you, Luke, I'm going to go ahead and say we both have SEC at number one, and we'll go ahead and get into the – the next part of this. Yeah, I, I think we can do that. Yeah. Big ten, I have the Big Ten at number two. I have the Big Ten at number two as well. Um, I also don't think there is much that needs to be said here. Uh, they have the best top end of any other conference in America that's not the SEC, um, as well as a really solid group of B-tier teams. But that that top group of your Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State is, is, is better than any other conference has. Um, you could you could make the argument if Lincoln Riley was still at Oklahoma that maybe the Big Twelve could put uh, a really a really decent top four together. Um, you could say the same thing about the Pac twelve, but um, I mean that that their middle tier and bottom tier of the Big Ten are also are also really good. They're very comparable to the SEC. They've even got Purple Vandy over there in Northeast Northwestern. So. Um, <laughs> Purple yeah, Andy. You you have Big Ten at two as well. Do you have anything um, n- notable about them? Um, I mean, I just think the I, the reason I have them where they have where I have them, like if I had to go on a national show and talk about, it, is because they have I think the most contenders after the SEC. Mm-hmm. You've got Ohio State. You've got Michigan. Yeah, you know, I think Michigan State is going to be really good again this year. Um, so you you've got like three teams that 
are in that conversation, like without even thinking about it. You know, Penn State is another team in, in could be in that conversation. I, I we'll see kind of Iowa. where things go for you know Iowa. Like again, Wisconsin, like it's, it's a deep, deep, deep conference. So that I think propels them, and 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 it's like I said during halftime. You know, it's they're kind of mirroring the SEC with their business model and going to being the first conference to go to sixteen teams or whatever. So that that also dude that is. One of the Trump cards, you know, they have all this TV money, all this power, and that just translates to all those contenders on the football field. Yeah, that they really have been the 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 B tier SEC for the longest time. You know, they they've been a quality conference, and they've been a quality conference in other sports other than football as well. They've been really good in basketball um, for as long as I can remember. Um, and I I'm really really with the big with the Big Ten. They they have a team in there that remind that really hits close to home uh, because we're, we're almost uh, distant brothers, distant relatives, and that's Nebraska. Um, they, they're kind of that conference is Tennessee where they used to run the show um, back in the '90s, late '80s, and they just can't seem to get it together. You know, eventually they're going to because it's Nebraska. Those fans don't give up. They have the money. They have the tradition. Eventually, Nebraska is going to come back, and that division, that, that conference is going to be even better. We're seeing what it's doing right now, just with one year of Tennessee, kind of what where they've boosted up into uh, the the analysts and uh, all all of their rankings. The the critics want to say this, and Kentucky still thinks they're good, but Tennessee, Nebraska, these are lifeblood teams for these conferences. That if they ever get back, vault them and even a tier higher than they are even right now. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I I like that comparison. I know you've drawn some comparisons between Tennessee and West Virginia in the past, but that's mm-hmm. the first time I've heard Tennessee and Nebraska. So I'm just kind of thinking of kind of thinking of that, and it it fits. T- Tennessee and West Virginia because of the fan bases, not the right. programs. Right. Yeah. 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 No, Nebraska because of the program. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's 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 cool the parallels you can draw between like not just Tennessee and other other programs, but you know, pick a school and you kind of play six degrees of separation of Kevin Bacon. And yeah, you come up with conclusions like that. Yeah, Florida State and Miami. Yeah, Nebraska or Northwestern and Vanderbilt. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, I mean, you, you could say Michigan and Georgia to a to a very very decent extent. Yeah, until, uh, yeah. I mean, the I think the dogs kind of set themselves apart in the Orange Bowl, but but yeah. Well, I I mean, they set themselves by winning a championship last yeah. year, but the, the comparison <laughs> is they've been elite teams that haven't won a national championship since before we were born. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so Georgia, that, yeah. Georgia did away with that last year. Yeah, um, my number three. I think I think we have our threes and fours. Uh, threes and fours flipped. I've got the ACC ahead of the Big Twelve, and the, the the reason I do is because I don't think a lot of the contenders from the ACC are going to take as big drops off as people think. Start with Pitt. They go from Kenny Pickett to Keaton Slovis. Probably a slight downgrade. Uh, I didn't watch a ton of Slovis at USC last year, but the the biggest thing for Pitt is they've got all five of their offensive linemen back from last year's team uh, on that offense that pretty much put up points at will whenever they wanted to. Um, they, you know, our, our good friend Phil Steele has them uh, tied with Miami for the winning the Coastal Division. Uh, that's going to be a big game this year, the last year of divisions in, in the ACC. It'll be a big game, Pitt and Miami. Um, I also think Wake Forest is going to be uh, just as good as they were last year with Sam Hartman coming back. Uh, he, he might be my pick for conference player of the year when all is said and done. Um, and then NC State, 
predicted to win 10 games this year. I, I That is usually a kiss of death. But also, you know, Devin Leary coming back and, and that offense, which was also very dynamic. I'm not going to say the ACC has a lot of contenders outside of, you know, the usual suspect in Clemson, but they've got a lot of really, really solid programs. Yeah, I, I've got them at four. I'll go ahead and cover the ACC. Um, I started to put the the, the pack at four, honestly, um, and put the ACC at five. But um, I, I I like the ACC's middle and bottom, um, you know, more than I do the Pac-12s uh, or, I mean, or the Big 12s, to be fair. But um, I'm just going to start by saying this. If NC State is the best team in your conference to start a season, your conference is going to be booty cheeks. Yeah. I'm, an NC, I'm an NC State fan, but that that the fact is the fact. Um, don't get me wrong. Clemson should probably return to their normal selves. Um, I expect them to win the conference. Miami will be good eventually. I don't know if it'll be this year. They'll, they'll be good this year. UNC will be okay. We'll see what they look like post-Sam uh, Howell. Uh, there's a lot of good teams in the conference. I just don't see really any great teams in the conference, which is why I have them at at uh, at four. Um, but before I go on, what what do you ha- do you have anything to say in response? Um, no, I also I also I'm actually going to talk a little bit more about a couple of ACC teams when we go to the coaches, but uh, a couple, just a couple hires who I think are going to surprise people too. I, I'm and and also full disclosure. Here in ACC territory, I wanted to be a little bit biased and kind of make a case for for some of our, our closer schools, and because I wanted to, didn't I, if we had the same list, this might be a boring segment. So true, but kind true. of for, for more, kind of partly for the show, and also partly because I, I really do think that teams like Pitt and Wake Forest and and NC State are going to be as good as advertised this year, and I'm probably going to get myself shot for saying that well, about the Wolfpack. But but here I go, you know. The thing I'll say is the 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 brand recognition and the future of this conference I feel like is a lot higher than the Big Twelve. Just I, I think they're going opposite directions. Um, if you can get Florida State back to where they were, you can get Louisville kind of back to where they were with Lamar Jackson. Even um, keep Wake Forest where they are and get better. Do the same thing with Pitt. Uh, we're going to see what happens in the Virginia area with the two new head coaches. Um, that th- there's a lot to be excited about with the ACC. I'm just not excited about it in this calendar season. But that, that there's a lot to be excited about on the horizon for the ACC. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really. He's not. See, he's not on my list, but I'm really excited to see what Tony Elliott is going to do uh, in yeah. his, his first year at UVA. So at at three, I have the Big Twelve. Um, and only because it might be the last time I can ever rank them this high. Uh, they better enjoy it while they can. Once Oklahoma and Texas leaves, um, I think they go below the ACC. Uh, they, they always find a good year out of a sleeper team. Somehow it's always Oklahoma State. Somehow they're always ranked like number eight in week 10, undefeated with an outside shot of a playoff bid. Um, the bottom of this conference is really bad. And one of the really good teams last year out of it was Iowa State. And they lost Brock Purdy and Brees Hall. Uh, they're not going to be at, nowhere near as good. Um, look at what Oklahoma lost. Um, Brent Venables has his work cut out for him there. They recruit very well. They have a rabid fan base. They're just not going to be what Lincoln Riley or Bob Stoops put them uh, in position to be. It'll get there. But this year, I've got them below the Big Ten. But I, I do think the top end of that conference is better overall than the top end of the ACC. So that that was the only deciding factor that put them above the ACC. They're kind of that 
three A and three B for me. Yeah, I mean, this might be kind of a last hurrah for the Big Ten, if, or excuse me, for the Big Twelve, if you think about it. Um, I, I mean, Oklahoma teams like Oklahoma and Texas, Oklahoma State. You know, Oklahoma State will still be in the conference, uh, yep. but you know, Oklahoma is, I think, in our lifetime, along with Texas, of course, I, I, we could debate for hours whether who's more prestigious. But these are the most two most prestigious teams in the conference mm-hmm. and it, it almost feels like their last chance to like make a mark and make a mark for the conference before they move on. Yeah. They've still got this year and next year. They don't come on until the 25, 26 season. So oh, um, I had a year, I had that we, a year. Ahead. St- still a couple more years, but uh, it stands to reason they're not really going to be uh, massive factors uh, on the national scale out of that conference. Now in- inside the conference, Oklahoma and Texas should still be the 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 cream of the crop in the conference, but um, I, I'm interested to see what a guy like Sonny Dykes um, does there. Uh, I, I think TCU has been kind of a sleeping giant. Gary Patterson got him to a certain point and just wasn't able to get over that hump. Um, I, I think I think they've got a really good chance to. Well, once Texas is out of the Big Twelve, I think TCU. For my money, TCU is the Texas team that's going to replace them, not Texas Tech. And um, I I think that's going to start early. I think that might be our sleeper team from this year that I was talking about. I'm not sure, but TCU is who my gut is. Yeah, and NC State taking on Texas Tech in Carter-Finley Stadium, I think week three of the the regular season. So that'll be an early season litmus test for the Wolfpack uh, for for as much praise as they've drawn this offseason. That'll be their first time really with a chance to prove it. The Red Raider rivalry. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, that that being said, we both have the same number five as I've uh, as I've deduced. And, and um, I've, I've got to be honest, a lot part of that has to do with the fact that the Pac-12 is you know had a really bad summer. You know they they lost they lost USC, who is along with Oregon their top you know name program, and then they lost maybe their best second oh, okay second or third best academic institution uh, after Stanford uh, and in, in UCLA. Uh, so, and, and, you know, the Pac-12 just hasn't been as relevant since USC lost, you know, Pete Carroll and the Reggie Bush teams and, and, and the teams from, you know, the early and mid 2000s, USC hasn't been the same since those days. No, that, that they haven't. And it's kind of, uh, I, I don't, I don't really know why. Um, I, I don't know if the, the punishment for Reggie Bush had anything to do with that, why they kind of started, I guess, playing by the rules, but, um, uh, it, it's another one of those things where, like, I, I'm i not trying to throw shade at Utah. I respect Utah. But if Utah is preseason the best team in your conference, your conference is ass. Um, it, it is not a – that's not a Power 5 conference. The, Utah should be the number one team in the MAC, not the PAC. Um, I, I like Oregon. Oregon had a disappointing end to their season last year for sure. Um at, you know, th- th- their top four are going to be good this year, I think. I think Oregon's going to be good. I think USC is going to be really good. I think Utah is going to be pretty decent. And we'll, we'll see what happens with Washington. They're probably the best uh, contender from the last five years, but they had a horrible season last year. Um, UCLA maybe is the fourth team that enters here. I, I don't really know what happens. Um, all I know is the bottom is really, really bad. They can't even beat each other, and they all they all suck. Um, it, if if we weren't constricted to Power Five conferences, I would have put the American Athletic Conference here before I put the Pac twelve. 
Yeah, I mean, we talked a lot about the American last uh, last show in our group of five contenders. You've got three programs that we could be seeing playing in early January uh, in UCF, Houston, and um, Cincinnati. So they'll, they'll put those three up against the top three in the Pac-12, and boy, yeah. I mean, you're, you're tossing a coin at that point. You you really are. Now, the, I, I think USC, just because of what they've um, – uh, conquested from from other programs this year. Uh, I think they're on the fast track to coming back, especially, you know, winning the Jordan Addison lottery, bringing in Caleb Williams, uh, the the Mario guy from uh, Oklahoma as well, as Lincoln Riley. Um, they, they made a humongous amount of additions. That They should go right back to winning pretty fast. If they don't win the conference this year, I'll be pretty shocked, honestly. But if you're able to go – from four and eight to winning your conference in one year, your conference sucks. Yeah. I cannot, yeah. I cannot wait for this conference to not be a conference anymore. It's like, it's like, the, it's like the NFC East. I haven't had like a repeat champion in God knows how many years. Like, cause, yeah. cause it, every team is just so bad. And three, three quarters of it's just awful. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a good comparison. I mean, well, we've already heard the links of, you know, uh, kind of the remaining big dogs in the pac 12, eyeing going to the Big 12. Uh, Oregon, Washington, Washington, Washington State, Oregon State have been the, the the four primary ones in that conversation. But, well, that hasn't landed yet. That's not – nothing is official. Um, but I, I don't think the Pac-12 is going to be a Power 5 conference for very much longer. No, I, I definitely agree with that. I'm kind of surprised it didn't already fall apart. But uh, maybe maybe that's still, still in the works. Because uh, I thought once UCLA, USC and UCLA left, that would be like kind of – not not a domino effect. That would be like an avalanche. When, when is that? Uh, I'm trying to remember when that takes effect. I believe that's uh, 24, 25. Um, okay. Yeah, so that's two more seasons. I think the season before Texas and Oklahoma, and Oklahoma. go. Yes, that, that's correct. Okay. I, yeah. That, that's how I have it in my head as well. Yeah. <laughs> so there's the quarter number three coming to an end as the horn sounds. And there are Power 5 conference rankings. Again, not a lot of deviation, but we did have a little bit of a debate about the ACC uh, versus the Big 12. Um, but now we go to for the fourth quarter and our top five first-year head coaches. Now, these are first-year head coaches at a given school, not necessarily their first year as a head coach, although I think we might have a couple of guys on our lists who are first-year head coaches altogether. Um, but this is, this is probably the, uh, the list that I had the most fun compiling here for this show. And this was definitely the list that I had the most help from uh, our good friend, Phil Steele on, uh, because there's just, there were a lot to choose from. I mean, kind of like our, uh, our, our lists earlier in the NFL segments, it, a lot you can make a case for. Um, I've got a couple guys who might not be as well known, uh, but there are a lot of power conference, a lot of sec guys uh, on this list. Um, I'll let you go ahead and start with number one. Uh, Cause I don't think you have an sec guy as number one. No, I don't. I don't. I have one SEC guy on here, and I didn't want to put him on here. Um, <laughs> number one, I have Marcus Freeman. Uh, I think Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame will ultimately take them over the top. Um, he's been so close to greatness. He, you know, played in that national championship game against Alabama, got spanked in front of the world, and uh, honestly, I don't think his tail has come from between his legs since that game. Um, I, I can only assume it's him who's been the blocker because they've had good teams. 
Um, Mark is going to bring a, bring a fresh perspective to the program. I understand he was hired from within, but he just recently joined them uh, as uh, coming over as a defensive coordinator from Cincy off of Luke Fickle's staff. Um, with what we saw the players that went in the draft for Cincy last year, especially on the defensive side of the ball, this guy is legit. Um, and he's going to put a more modern touch on Notre Dame, which I think has been massively, massively needed. I understand the tradition of Notre Dame, but you can't let your, the tradition of the past hold you from achieving things in the future. And I think that's what's happened in Notre Dame. They are so hell-bent on being this traditional, we're going to play like Rudy's on the team type of organization. I think this is going to get them to be a little bit more of a modern school. It's already taken effect on the recruiting trail. Brian Kelly, don't get me wrong, great recruiter, but Marcus Freeman is bringing in a different type of player. And uh, for the love of God, just get touchdown Jesus some swag. The football universe is better when Notre Dame is legitimately good, not just good because they drew the right seven teams out of the ACC that all suck and their record looks good. Let, let's get them actually good. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy when Notre Dame is good. I'm not a fan, but, you know, it, it's yes yeah. to the pageantry. You know, it's – and then those games on NBC under that cloudy sky at, at, in South Bend are just so much more fun to watch when that team is good, you know, when Michigan's in town or when, you know, Florida State might be in town with the ACC or, uh, you know, so the Clemson game a couple years ago uh, that went into overtime was was really awesome to watch too. Um there's I don't a, have him on my list, but I do think Notre Dame was in need of a refresh, and this was this is a guy that is, was the perfect guy for it. There, there's a purity about Notre Dame football that I, I don't care if you like it. There, but there, it is just if there if you can boil down what college football is, just point to a Saturday at Notre Dame. It, it is the peak of of tradition, the peak of. People just being there for football. It's cold. It's uncomfortable. It's tough. There's not even a bowl. It is just like 200 rows of seats that they haven't made any additions to the stadium since I, I don't even. Uh, Jesus might have actually been on the earth the last time they were made. <laughs> um, but none, none of that matters because you can just feel the the pure college football oozing out of that place. And it needs to be pure and good again. No logos on the field. Hardly any corporate logo sponsors in the stadium. I mean, and the, really the only the only scenery you have is like outside of the field and the game itself is touchdown Jesus. Yeah, it's it's perfect. It's it's a you know, a school in Indiana, you know, kind of middle of nowhere Indiana that that's just known for you know most of Indiana is known for basketball, but known known for football. And you know, I, I I actually didn't see Rudy until like kind of recently, like four or five years ago, and I watched and I was like, mm. man. I, I don't think this is the best movie I've ever watched, but this movie just like oozes the spirit of college football. It's like a fantasy movie with yeah. college football in it, and it's it's really cool. Yeah, and I, I, it's it's only exacerbated by Rudy, but that that's that's reality. That's really how Notre Dame is. There there's yeah. not a lot of fabrication in that movie, other yeah, than Sean Astin. Bucket, definitely bucket list bucket list stadium to see a game in. With I, I agree. I want it to be painfully cold, though. Like, I don't feel like I'm going to get the full experience if I don't have eight jackets on and still getting frostbite. Oh, yeah. I'll talk a little bit about football and cold weather uh, when I talk about one of my other coaches because uh, I have a story about that, too. But my number one uh, is the opposite of cold 
and snowy is Lincoln Riley. If you've seen that house he bought out in Los Angeles uh, to be the new coach for, for USC and he just high octane offense. He just, he seems like a guy who's ready for the big time back when he was in Oklahoma a couple years ago, a lot of people were saying, Oh, Mike McCarthy's just keeping the seat warm. He's going to be the next mm-hmm. head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Well, you kind of have the Dallas Cowboys of, of uh, college football now. Uh, with just the kind of the, the swagger and the attitude that USC brings to uh, t- to college football. Uh, and a lot of talk about fit. Lincoln Riley is a fit out at USC. And mm. one of the first things he did was get the best receiver in college football to come across the country and play for him. Um, maybe that house that Jordan Addison got had something to do with it too. But the fact remains, he's going to be suiting up for the Trojans this year. And it's like a new toy, a kid with a new toy. You know, uh, Lincoln Riley... And that offense, getting a guy like Jordan Addison to add to what they already have. Um, and I think whoever they have at quarterback this year is going to end up being an addition uh, uh, or, excuse me, an improvement over Keaton Slovis. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, they brought in Caleb Williams from yeah. Oklahoma. <laughs> right. Is, that's, that's right. <laughs> he, he is absolutely not only an improvement, but to, to bring your quarterback from your system that you already know works. They, they brought in um, – I'm trying to remember the guy's last name, but his first name is Mario, receiver for uh, the for Oklahoma last year. Um, what one of Caleb Williams' big targets throughout the season? Um, add in Jordan Addison, and just the, the the NIL landscape. This is another one of those schools that it's going to absolutely overhaul very quickly because they have money coming out their ass left, right, and center, um, and they're going to be able to buy whoever they want. Point right to Jordan Addison. Now, there's a lot of reasons Jordan Addison went there, not just the house, not just the money, but I guarantee you that shit did not hurt. Um, and they, they've got that in spades. Plus, they can sell Los Angeles. They, they can sell Hollywood. They can just sell where they are. There have been kids going there for decades just to go be on campus with California girls everywhere, to be the superstar among the superstars out there. And... uh I think you said it perfectly. Lincoln Riley is the fit of fits out there. He is what I think everyone hoped Lane Kiffin would be out there. Yeah. I mean, and I, I mean, I'll, I'll let you know that this, the rest of my list is based off of fit, you know, the kind of those intangibles, those, cause, cause there is a lot of good coaches out there. There's a lot of guys who know more about X's and O's than you and I could ever hope to. And mm-hmm. you've got so many of these guys, but it's those little things that set the really good ones from just the, the, the good ones. So, you know, I'm, and as we go on with this list, I'll kind of, that'll be kind of my theme as we go along. Yeah. I, I think that's what you're, when you're picking your top five first year head coaches for them to do well, they have to fit. Um, so I, I think that's built in there too. Um, I'll go ahead and get to my number two. Uh, I've got Mario Cristobal and man, everything is lining up for Miami extremely fast. Um, NIL is going to save Miami. John Ruiz was listed as the number two, uh, collective in America. And he's just, he's, he's, he's a guy. He's not even a collective. He is going to turn that program around with his money. And one way he did that was throw the absolute Brinks truck at Mario Cristobal at Oregon, get him out here. He's a fantastic coach. This is a coach that they've been needing for a while uh, lands in a hotbed of recruiting while both Florida and Florida State sit in the corner and play with themselves. Um, Miami's going to be back very fast. Get ready to see that you thrown back up on the national TV often. Um, 
football is better with some schools being good, and the University of Miami is one of them. I'm glad they got rid of that touchdown chain. Not not that I disliked it, but I agree with why they got rid of it. It's like turn the page on that. This is a whole different Miami here now. I thought it was cool. I thought it was swaggy, but it's Miami. They're going to find other swag. Trust me. And it's going to come naturally. They don't need to recycle the touchdown chain. I'm excited to see what Mario Cristobal does at Miami, mainly because it makes Florida's life a living hell. And I am yeah. yeah, he is also number two on my list. Uh, you nailed it with the fit. Uh, Miami is like over 50% Cuban, it seems. Mario Cristobal, Cuban descent, co- used to coach at FIU uh, mm-hmm. right down the road. <laughs> so that he's coming back home. He's from Miami. And I, I talked about how USC was kind of like the Cowboys of, of college football. Well, Miami is like the the Las Vegas Raiders. With They, they kind of have that black hole-ish fan base. Uh, mm-hmm. Guys who kind of dress funny, come to games, scream and yell. Um, attendance hasn't been as good because of where they play. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the swag on the field is like, you know, I think Mario Cristobal is going to kind of bring his own version of that. Um, and he's going to – he inherits a quarterback in Tyler Van Dyke, who's a lot of, a lot of experts pick for – uh, player of the year in the in the ACC this year, uh, but you know, you know quote unquote experts. Uh, but he's walking into having a quarterback that you might expect to see at Oregon, a guy who can do damage with his legs and and do damage through the air. And he's in the weaker division of the two in the ACC. That's really important too. I think you know, kind of Pitt might be his only competition this year. Uh, but you know, going back to the fit, it's a perfect fit. It's it's a round peg in a round hole. I yep I I agree. I don't. I can't say anything else more about them because I think uh, really next year is the year we'll see it taking place. But uh, the recruiting that they're doing right now is off the charts. Thank you, John Ruiz, and your NIL money. Yeah, yeah. He's doing doing what Nevin Shapiro always dreamed of doing. <laughs> so I, I'll go ahead with my, th- my third one. Uh, it's Lincoln Riley. Um, we've already kind of discussed him, but um, – while he wasn't able to win it all at Oklahoma, I think he might be able to at USC. Um, especially, I think it's going to take a couple of years. They're going to have to get used to, A, the competition in the pack, and then that competition in the Big Ten. But I think after two or three years, uh, they will be right, right back on that horse, right back in the national spotlight where USC was, uh, you know, with Matt Leinert and, uh, Reggie Bush and Lendell White back, back in the early 2000s. I think we'll see them resurge here. Uh, he's brought all the all the dream team OU players with him. Um, offense fits perfectly with how offenses uh, are run in that conference. Um, we'll see how it translates to Big Ten ball at that point, but he's got his signal caller with him. Shouldn't miss much of a beat, but same with Miami. Let's see if anyone actually goes to the game. Yeah, right. Right. Um, Yeah, I covered Lincoln Riley. My number three, I don't know, you might think this is a bit of a reach, but uh, I've got him in here because I spoke so highly of his old program last show. I got Billy Napier going from Louisiana to Mm. Florida. Um, And Louisiana, 13 and 1, 8 and 0 in the Sun Belt last year, averaged 31 points a game, almost 200 yards on the ground, 218 through the air. Uh, And it's kind of going to be like a unstoppable force meets immovable object when he goes against some of these SEC defenses uh, like Georgia, for example, in the cocktail party. And it seems like Georgia and Florida are never good at the same time. Uh, It seems like either Florida back when we were in middle and high school would dominate that, that game 
Uh, and now in recent years, Georgia has, has dominated that game more you know, last year being the most recent example. Um, but I'm excited for the cocktail party. I'm excited. I'm excited to see, uh, you know, how a guy like Billy Napier who had so much success at a lower level comes and has, when he comes into the best conference in the league, I don't have Florida's schedule right in front of me, so I'm not sure who they play out of the West. Now, LSU is, I think, their uh, crossover rival. Correct. Um, but, you know, this is one of those classic uh, group of five to power five hires to a program that desperately needs a shot in the arm. And Billy Napier's offense has the kind of, you know, it's, it's the kind of offense that can provide you a shot in the arm if you've got the right people. Uh, so I, I know Emory Jones has moved on, but just strictly looking at the coach, and what he brings to the table. I, I really like the hire that Florida made. I I liked it at the time, at the immediate time, but as time has passed and we've seen what he's done, my my gut, and it's it's not just me, this is uh there's a lot of folks who feel this way. They f- it, it feels like he's their Butch Jones. Like this is he he had a good resume, but he's just not cut out for what the SEC is. And um I I think I think teams like Florida need to stop looking for the low level coaching home run hire. Um I, th- this isn't me disagreeing necessarily with you on Billy Napier. I liked Billy Napier at Louisiana, but as he comes to Florida, we get to see more of him than you do at Louisiana. Um, recruiting hasn't been good. They're already like the message boards are already talking about wanting to fire guys because they have just missed left, right, and center with recruits. Guys aren't buying into it as much. Um, they have Anthony Richardson really excited to see what they do with him. He's a really talented guy. I think he's going to fit into what coach Napier wants to do. Um, I just, my, my, my gut tells me he's not going to last very long at Florida. And that's not my gut telling me that because that's what I want to happen that's just my gut telling me that because I, I I've been in their shoes where you feel the need to make that type of hire. And in the SEC, it just, it just never works. It just, it doesn't. Um, by the way, they play A&M and LSU out of the West this year. So going to be a tough, that's, that that's not a good draw. Um, outside of drawing Alabama, you drew the, probably the two hardest ones, maybe Arkansas, but, um, what we'll, 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 we'll see. You know, he's he's done a good job at Louisiana, but, you know, Butch Jones did a good job at Cincinnati. Uh, Derek Dooley did a good job at Louisiana Tech, and this conference is just different. And if you can't recruit, it doesn't matter how good of a coach you are, honestly, if you can't recruit the good talent that everyone else has. So we'll see. He's not on my top five, um, but I don't know. I also hate yeah. Florida. I know you hate Florida. I mean, I just – I just I, and a lot of that comes from, you know, I watched Louisiana play – against Marshall in the New Orleans Bowl last year. And they just, they, that that team really knocked my socks off the way they played. So I was just like, hey, I, I like Louisiana in our group of five discussion. So I'm going to kind of continue a theme here and make a case for for Billy Napier. But you made a case against Billy Napier. That's what the right hash is all about. And, and that's why we do these lists. So. I, I like his confidence of his first thing that he comes out saying, though, scared money don't make money. I, I, I do like the confidence he has. There's Yeah. That, that there's something to be desired there. And I think if he put something on the field just to give the recruits locally something to believe in, it's going to be good. But he's going to have to do something to steal the elite recruits from what Miami is doing right now. And he is not capable of doing that at this moment. He needs to do it on the field first. 
Right, yeah, so we'll see see if Florida can establish themselves before they can be back to where they were, you know, in the Tim Tebow days. I'm not I, I'm definitely not saying you're wrong, but I, I really do hope you're wrong. Yeah. That's all I'm, that's more of what I'm saying is I just understandable. Understandable. Um, so I'll hop to my number four. Uh, this is a guy you mentioned excluding from your list because of one reason. Um, I've got Dan Lanning uh, at Oregon. Uh, really strange to think about Oregon potentially becoming a defensive focused team. Uh, you know, obviously uh, they had a lot of top end defensive players go to the NFL. Kayvon Thibodeau just last year. Um, it's just, it's just not their calling card. Um, and Dan Lanning orchestrated possibly the greatest collegiate defense, at least in modern football, of all time last year, uh, cons- especially considering how offenses are run and allowed to play these days. For my money, it was the most impressive defensive season I've seen in my lifetime from a school beginning to end. It's just going to be a weird new look in Oregon. The good thing about Oregon, they are very used to weird looks. Um, <laughs> so I-, I think he's going to fit there especially if they make a conference move and they move into Big Ten or Big 12. I think it's going to be better for him if they get into a better conference. But he's going to recruit himself. Who who on defense is not going to want to play for that guy after what he just did last year and what they did in the draft? Everyone who plays defense is going to want to play for them, and Oregon's going to pay them that Phil Knight money too. So um, I think it's it's a tremendous hire. Uh, I think they took one out of maybe Michigan State's book where Michigan State hired Mel Tucker. They saw what it did for them immediately. This should go right along and fit right in with what Oregon does on a recruiting standpoint. It's just they're going to have a different identity than normal. And that's the reason he's not on my list is just I, I – The fit. You know, like if this was a top 10, he'd probably be seven or eight. But just that that fit isn't as good to me as some of these other coaches we've talked about. Because imagine Oregon being one of those like you know, twenty to seventeen teams. I just can't do it. Um, and and maybe in a year or two years, I'll be proven wrong. But you know, the main reason I left Dan Lanning off of my list is just because of that. You know that that fit isn't what I think it it should be. I think it's Oregon is that team that puts up forty to fifty points a game with you know Marcus Mariota and DeAnthony Thomas and Lamichael James running all over the field. Um, and, and I know Oregon has put defensive players in the NFL that's not you know it kind of gets overshadowed because of the offense they've had over the uh, over the years um, but I also wonder how much of that defense was Dan Lanning and how much of that Georgia defense was the guys that they actually had on the field because of how many of those guys got drafted just an immense amount of talent he's not going to have that immense amount of talent on the defensive side of the ball in Eugene this year I don't know if anyone ever will in college football again um, but he has a chance immediately to prove himself when he plays against his old team at Mercedes-Benz Stadium at 3.30 on September 3rd uh, against Georgia, the defending national champions. So that'll be a, a dynamite game to kick off the season. Um, you know, like I said, you know, if this was a top 10, he'd be on there, but it's that that fit that's keeping, keeping him off of my list. Here's all I'll say to the fit. What has that fit gotten Oregon? What has their offense actually gotten them? I mean, nothing since Chip Kelly. Not, nothing even with yeah. Chip Kelly. Or who was the coach before that? Uh, Mark Helfert. Mark Helfert? No, he was after. Anyway, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, they haven't won a championship. 
it, it hasn't actually materialized into anything. They right. made they made one. They just didn't win one. Yeah, they lost. Uh, was it Ohio State who beat them? Yeah, uh, yeah. with Marcus Mariota, that Marcus Mariota year, and you know, to they ha- they have an identity, but it's not an identity that's won them anything of of value. And I think we all know the definition of insanity is you know same thing over and over, expecting different results. I think this is it's good. I think they should be doing something like this. I think they should be trying to get a maybe not a different identity, but an additional identity. Let's if we have this offense and this offense has been our identity, let's just add the defense part to it. Keep the offense. Let's get someone in here who can get the defense on par. And if that's possible, if you get the Oregon offense with the Georgia defense last year, not not saying that's going to happen, but hypothetically, you get an Oregon offense with an SEC defense. Who's stopping that? Uh, who Not anybody in the Pac-12. Yeah, probably not anyone in the Big 12. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, yeah. I, I Again, I really like I like Oregon as a program. I, I'm really excited about that game against Georgia, but for, for the right hash purposes, Dan Lanning was not on my list. Ah, uh, Dan. Dan so, <laughs> <laughs> Number four. I've got. I man, I'm 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 definitely gonna get myself shot uh, for for saying something like this, especially by uh by our good friend Connor Lilly. I had to rub uh, my eyes. A big Virginia fan, but man, I really like this Brent Pry hire at Virginia Tech. I, I that is the exact kind of coach that the Hokies need, the Hokie fans want, and they are really excited about this guy. Uh, you hear Virginia Tech, you think Lane Stadium sold out, fans jumping around, enter Sandman. Uh, you, if your team scores more than 13 points, uh, you're lucky. Justin Fuente just never really seemed right at that school. Uh, it just never really seemed seemed proper that Virginia Tech was one of those teams that would beat you with offense rather than defense. And now they go back to that identity of uh, really tough, hard-nosed, blue-collar football. I don't know if they're going to bring the lunch pail back, uh, but this is the kind of guy that Brett Pry is. Last year, after Justin Fuente got fired and his defensive coordinator, J.C. Price, took over, the Hokies responded really well. I mean, it's almost like that's the kind of football they wanted to be playing the whole time. Uh, got a big win at UVA to end the season to get themselves into a bowl game. And Brett Pry coming down from Penn State, a program that knows a lot about defense. I think he's going to slide right in. And now, Tech's, I don't think Tech's going to be a contender this year. But in terms of fit, like I've been talking about this whole list, I don't know if there is a better one on just fit alone than Brent Pry at Virginia Tech. That's it's a really good one. Um, quick, quick story: He does have a little bit of a almost almost a Knoxville tie. He uh, played his first year at Merville College. That's Maryville for anyone outside of Tennessee. Yeah. But Merville in Tennessee played at Merville College his first year uh, before transferring to Buffalo. But the the thing that's really that stands out to me about his resume is the furthest West he has been in his entire career playing and coaching is Memphis. He has lived on the East coast, North and South on the East coast um, at prestigious universities. You know, he was at Virginia tech way back when I believe uh, had a couple stints at Western Carolina. Uh, obviously, like I said, he was at Memphis. Uh, he was uh, some, some capacity coach at Vandy for a couple of years before going to Penn state. And then, like you said, wound up becoming the defensive coordinator and linebackers coach at linebacker U, and that that that's a strong that's a very strong identity of what this guy is going to bring. It is going to be defense, 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 and that is 
That is what I associate outside of Beamer Ball. That is what I associate with Virginia Tech is just mean, not partic- not like particularly talented, but just mean, organized, emotional, effective defense. And I can't wait to see what he does. I, I don't have a gauge one way or the other. Just it, for me, it's hard to tell what a defensive coordinator sometimes is going to do going up into a head coaching job. Um, obviously, I just had Dan Landing, but I feel like I have more of a guess of what he's going to do. I, I just don't know as much about Brent Pry as I would like to for me to put him on the list. But I remember when, when they made that hire, I, I, I liked it. I really liked the hire. Um, I'm, I just don't know where it sits with me. I don't know how long it's going to take for him to get it where he wants to go. You talk about tough places to play. Uh, Lane Stadium, most of my life. You know, Virginia Tech just did not lose home games. Mm-hmm. I went to a Virginia Tech-North Carolina game in 2005, and it was the last game of the regular season. It was after, right after Thanksgiving. It was like 20-something degrees in Blacksburg. Wind is howling. One of the coldest games in Virginia Tech history. Uh, um, and you know, we talked about the Big Ten earlier in Wisconsin and whatnot, South Bend. and Blacksburg is right up there in terms of intangibles, the toughest places to play. They psych you out right at the beginning with Enter Sandman. They've got the military marching band, Skipper, the big, big-ass cannon that they fire when the Hokies score. And they do the Hokey Pokey in between the third and the fourth quarters. So, like, in terms of unique places to play, tough places to play, Lane Stadium's at the top of the list. And I think it'll be sooner rather than later that it gets back to, you know, Virginia Tech just doesn't lose home games uh, when Brett Pry really gets his people in there. Another one of those stadiums also similar to Notre Dame in that there's not a bowl. It is just kind of a – I say bowl. There's not decks. It's just right. one, a wall of seats that goes up. Um, and the the noise that that helps create and trap and the reverberations from the audio side make it louder than you would expect for 80,000 people. Um, it's a tough place to play and – that your defense is going to be good, man. The defense I mean, is going to be good. There. Yeah, and you're you're literally at Virginia Tech. You are high, like you are at altitude, two thousand yeah. feet in the air. So yeah. when you know your Hokies, the Hokies are used to that. They practice in that. They play in that all the time. You're not. You're coming from you know Miami or uh, you know Charlottesville or you know Chapel Hill, places that aren't at altitude. Yeah, I I, I like your inclusion of him there. You, you you know him a little bit better than I do, so I I couldn't put him there, but. I, I liked the hire when they made it. Yeah, I mean, I, I figured he would get a coach head coaching job eventually. It just figured who who would be the team to pry him away, and that turned out to be the Hokies. Yeah, yeah, good good use good use there. <laughs> um, I, it it seems like the Penn State defensive coordinator is always uh, an up and coming, either like SEC defensive coordinator or a head coach somewhere. That, that's just the type of prestige that position has. Yeah, and I think it's a it's a stark contrast to the. Billy Napier type hire, the whiz yeah. kid from a group of five school. Or even the Justin Fuente hire that they just made uh, five years ago. Um, just a complete 180 from what he wanted to do. He was a much more offensive uh, focused coach than than Brent will be. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm done talking good about the Hokies. I've done that. I've had my fill of that for at least a month or so. Don't worry. I just <laughs> talked good about Dan Lanning. That felt weird. <laughs> um, so I, I'll move to number five and <clears throat> man, I, I really, really didn't want to put him on the list, but it's, it's Brian Kelly. Um, listen, basically any idiot can win at LSU. 
You don't have to try hard to recruit there. There's some kind of voodoo they put on all of them at birth that make them go to Baton Rouge if they're good at football. Um, they have, for my money, the most intimidating environment in the entire SEC at night. Um, Brian Kelly is a proven recruiter and a proven regular season winner at Notre Dame um, and sh- should be able to do at least as well as Les Miles did, I would I would think. Um, again, I don't really like Brian Kelly. I think he's goofy. I don't think he's a good fit, and I really, really hate how he can't control his accent when he's talking to people now. Um, but I, I wouldn't have paid him what they did, but I, I applaud LSU for not sitting around trying to play the young coach lottery like so many other schools have done. I mentioned Florida. I include Tennessee in there because that's what we've done for the better part of my life. Um, So I I applaud them for just saying, hey, let's go get a guy who knows how to coach and we'll see if it works out rather than let's go pay a guy roughly the same amount of money that we don't know what he's going to do and it turned into a disaster. So there's there's that side of it. They, They got one of the best quote-unquote available head coaches at the time. He wasn't available, but he was available. Um, so I, I've got Brian Kelly there. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I LSU is my second SEC team, but I almost hope they fail so that we can get Brian Kelly just out of the SEC completely faster. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. We, we, we go to LSU this year, and we're going to play Brian Kelly in week our, our week five. Um We'll, we'll get a first-hand look at what Brian Kelly does. Yeah, and I think you know I think they'll be good by like most people's standards, but I don't think they'll be good in this first year by LSU standards. No. You know, they're not going to be competing for a national championship. Uh, sorry, all I can think of when I hear Brian Kelly and LSU is him dancing in that recruit video. Oh, <laughs> just it is just so, so cringe, so cringe. You know what I love though is coaches that dance in the locker room after their team wins. And it's like the total opposite. Like that looks cool after you're dancing after a win. But if you're dancing to try and get a recruit to come play for you, it's like, dude, just stop. Like, don't do that. Yeah. Like, don't do that. The, 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 the dancing you're talking about is like, I mean, and not to, not to talk more about Virginia tech, but the Frank Beamer in, in the oh, locker yeah, room, like, exactly. like that, that's the type of dancing we're talking about where you're just having fun with your guys. You're not doing it because there's cameras on. You don't even know that there's cameras on most likely. Um, and just having fun. But yeah, I that, that's why I don't want to put Brian Kelly on here. He is trying so, so, so hard to be relevant. And he is probably the whitest head coach in the entire, like by, by Home Depot paint samples, he is probably the whitest shade of white of any head coach in college football. And he is in Baton Rouge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, maybe I wonder if he was at that Garth Brooks concert. Uh, that was oh, probably. Yeah, he, he, might, he might have been. He's probably been on Garth stage Bruce. singing with his, <laughs> new, with his new country accent he's got. Oh man, yeah, he just learned that one overnight. <laughs> but um, I'll round it out with my number five. I kind of debated taking this guy off because I know his team isn't going to be very good this year. Um, thought about putting Sonny Dykes on maybe after we talked about him last mm-hmm. quarter. I'm keeping him on here. Um, Mike Elko at Duke. Uh, no, Duke's not going to be any good this year. I, I, I concede that. Uh, but going back to fit, this is a guy who is going to just kind of throw his blinders on and be like, I got work to do. And he's going to hit the books, hit the ground running. And coming from Texas A&M, the one defense until Georgia in the national championship game that was able to figure out Alabama last year, 
that's got to count for something. Uh, and Duke as a program just has nowhere to go but up. They've kind of gone back to where they were during our childhood and the, the Carl Franks years, the Ted Roof years, uh, David Cutcliffe obviously moving on. He, you know, Godspeed to him. He did a great job, as good of a job as you can do at that school as the football coach. But it's Mike Elko now. They go from an offensive-minded head coach to a defensive-minded head coach. And I just I just kind of think that kind of the unknown, he's a relatively unknown guy to, to most college football fans because he, he's never been a head coach. But this unknown-ish guy at a small school like Duke that has an uphill mountain to climb, it seems like a really good fit. And again, this is the coordinator of the one defense that beat Alabama in the regular season last year. So again, that's got to count for something. Yeah. And I mean, he's been a defensive coordinator for like the last freaking decade or so. Um, I know he was at Notre Dame, obviously most recently at A&M. Uh, I believe he was at Wake Forest for, for a minute. Um, so it, he's, he's been a defensive coordinator for a long time and that, that speaks to how consistently good you are at your job to maintain a defensive coordinator spot on multiple stops. And he's on, he's only gotten better bowling green to wake forest to Notre Dame to Texas A&M um, really interested to see what he does. The only, only reason I didn't have him here is because this is just his first year is going to be bad because they don't have a good roster at all. And it doesn't have anything to do with him. It's just, they're, they're not going to be good. I think there's other coaches that are going to have much better first years. However, as far as the hire goes, I do love a little tickle me Elko. Uh, he, a, a really, a really, a really interesting defense at Texas A&M. And he's put guy after guy after guy into the NFL. So uh, a, a big pedigree going to, to Duke. I really like the inclusion of him on your list as well. Yeah, just 11 returning starters for the Blue Devils, so going to be an uphill battle, even in that coastal division. But but again, when there's so much unknown and so much you know bad news for a team coming into a season, sometimes that's good. Sometimes they end up really surprising people. Yeah, I mean, he's, he, he's never had like a, a top, top, top defense, but uh, I, I think it was two years ago they had, a, I want to say, a top 10 defense at A&M, which... You know that that's not bad considering you play half of your games against the SEC West, over half of your games against the SEC West. Uh, to come out of that with a top ten defense is is not bad. So uh, he he's he's definitely got a good uh, a good track record. Um, we'll we'll see if he can make it work at Duke. Uh, if they if they get some NIL stuff put together like they have for the basketball team, I could see him turning it around. Uh, if they if they're not able to compete with the money, um, especially the likes of uh, North Carolina, maybe NC State um, are going to put into their football programs. He, he, he might he might just be up against it. It might not be something possible to, to succeed at unless they throw money at it, really. Yeah, and you thought John Shire was the only coaching hire worth talking about for, for the Blue Devils, but yeah. you're on the right hash. We, we have other ideas. I mean, J- John Shire has been the, the – head coach there for like the last three seasons right so it wasn't like that out of nowhere like coach k knew he was going to be his replacement back when he was playing for him at duke right and coach k coach k didn't even do the coaches show this past year he had a uh, assistant coach chris carowell do it so yeah. that's how you knew he was kind of like taking a step back uh 
So yeah, it was, it was always just, hey, assistants, you can do all the shit that I don't want to do. <laughs> I, I'm glad you mentioned him though, because I, I did want to bring him up. He just wasn't going to be in my top five. Yeah, so t- Tickle Me Elko rounds out my list, and that'll round out our lists here on this episode of The Right Hash. But uh, another another great episode, and we're just we're another week closer to football season than when we last talked. I'm going to say that after every show, we're this much closer to football season be- because it's true. Yeah, and uh, but before we hop off here, I, I, I wanted to mention it at the top of the show, but it's early and I, I forgot. Um, we are hosting a The Right Hash Fantasy Football League this season for our listeners and our guests. So um, we're going to have a, a link to that on Twitter shortly. Um, if you're interested, shoot us a DM or wait for us to throw up the the invite link onto the Twitter account. Um, hop in there. We'll, we'll have some sort of prize for the winner at the end of the season, provided it's not myself or Luke. Um, we, we will have some sort of, of prize from us uh, for for winning the league. So um, not going to be anything crazy. It's a, a free league. We just want to participate and get, give something v- visible for you guys to keep track with for us over the fantasy season. Rather than us referring to our outside leagues, it, a, we want to have fun with you guys and, you know, interact some more. But also, so we have a little bit more of a frame of reference so everyone can follow along with our teams, how they're doing, who we're playing, that kind of good stuff. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Yeah, we'll share that along with uh, this show. Um, and we've already got some guys signed up. So thank you to everybody who has signed up. Also want to mention, if you'd like to hear us talk about something, if there's a list you'd like to hear us debate on the right hash, please let us know. Send us an email, the right hash at gmail.com message us on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, We are a show of the people and we would like to talk about what you want to hear. If you don't, then it'll just be up to us, your hosts to come up with the lists. So, which we don't mind doing, but we would also love your input. So if there's any subject related to college or professional football that you'd like us to talk about here this August before the season gets started, let us know. We, We would love to talk about it. So uh, we, we'd like to hear from you, and we were go- we we're going to have some guests coming on later this month um, to talk about their specific favorite teams and predictions for for college and pro football. So if you'd like, you know, you, you, any any angles you'd like them to take, uh, let let us know that as well. I'm not doing top five Georgia Bulldogs though. None of that stuff. <laughs> no. So yeah, Jeff Dantzler, if you're listening, we're uh, we're not we're not doing that. Uh, unfortunately, I, I might do that with you, but uh, not not here on the right hand. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. If Jeff comes on. I'll do a top five Georgia Bulldogs. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a challenge. It's a challenge. Challenge. I know Tennessee and Florida or Tennessee and Georgia don't play each other till the middle of the season, but that is a, a challenge issued between Vols and Bulldogs. So, Alex, I know you got places to go. So, th- thanks a lot for uh, for joining me. And once again, if you're interested in the fantasy league, uh, we, we will be sharing a link. Let us know uh, to that. Uh, we're happy to happy to be putting that on this year. So. Uh, once again, another another great preseason episode of The Right Hash. A lot more to come uh, where that came from. Th- thank you as well, Luke, for what you do on the back end. And uh, I, don't, I don't know how many people made it all the way to the end of our long episode last week. We're shaping up with one right now. But uh, the SEC on CBS music that you included at the very end of last episode hit me right in the feels, sent chills up my spine. Uh, it, it was perfect. It is, it, it is like the football guy's beacon of – Football is now coming. Is the SEC on CBS theme song? Yeah, I'll, I'll be changing it up for this show, but we we might we might throw that one back in there in a future show. So I uh, hope you like the outro of this uh, this episode, and we will be joining you next week for another. 
preseason episode, couple of NFL lists, couple of college lists, right here from the Nasser Alexander Kuchecki Studios. You've been following the right hash, and we've been happy putting it on for you. We'll talk to you next time.